Never in the history of the world have the merchants of obscenity had available to them the modern facilities for disseminating this filth. Disseminating this filth. The onslaught of the communist masters of deceit. Bingo. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Inco. Comma. Sluts. Hello? Hi, Bonnie. Dad took the uh, water scan boat out for the first time in a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's one of the like fun like trivias about Marlowe is I actually am somewhat proficient at both snow and water skiing. This has been previously established. Yeah, it's no. good to remind people. Yeah, well, you know, we got to continue the mythos. Mm -hmm. uh, water skis. You know, it's a callback to that time, but I mm -hmm. mentioned I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> Steve. I'm Steve. I want to pinch you with my crab claws. <laughs> what? It's a reference to the same thing that Steve oh, yeah, is a yeah. reference. It's Tom goes to the mayor. The uh. one with Michael Ian Black. <laughs> yeah. Bonnie, watch the Tom goes to the mayor with Michael Ian Black because it like has a bunch of in jokes uh, from college that I did with Stephen. Because, okay, because sure. Michael Ian Black goes, "You look like such a Stephen." Yeah, no. and then they, they use Stephen just... as like an insult, and like Steve was over at my house one time, and so I just like loaded up that clip of them going, "Stephen, he looks like a Stephen." Um, <laughs> Yeah. Well, also say like, oh, sure, in your sarcastic voice. I just want to point out it's like all oh, fucking 11 minutes long and like really funny. So like, oh, no, the, I like you know, you, goes to mayor. yeah, you should also but... do it for your own benefit. It's a good episode. <laughs> no, th thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, we're two minutes show. in and Marlo's doing a chauvinism. You should yeah. really do it for your benefit, Bunny. It'll it'll make your comedy career better. <laughs> I never said that. I just said it was. Well, I'm reading between the lines. These are lines that I'm reading. He's exaggerating, Marlo. It's called the, hyperbole. The, the lines are that it would give her a nice chuckle and make her feel good for a while because it's a lovely episode of television. Because she can't do that by herself is the implication. I'm sure she can pleasure herself just fine, but you know what? <laughs> <Jesus> I. <laughs> All right. <laughs> The wow. implication. Hmm. I should really uh, carry a tape recorder around, as they say. <laughs> well, oh. I, I just saw Black Widow, the Marvel movie. Yeah, cool. And wouldn't you know it, not so subtly anti-communist. <laughs> Color me shocked. Isn't the dude from Stranger Things a fucking traitor to the nation? I or don't did know. I like get that? What's elsewhere? what's the anti-communist element? Well, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the character Black Widow. It's no. Scarlett Johansson's Marvel character. Yeah, she's, she's a cool KGB spy who uh, murders people for communism. 
Well, that's her backstory. She defects to the Avengers or to S.H.I.E.L.D. and then to the Avengers. Uh, this movie reveals she was, as with many little girls, uh, kidnapped and put into secret spy training. But for a few years, she was undercover as a child in Ohio. That is the primary uh, lens that the movie's like we get introduced to the movie and then as soon as the, the dad who we think is the dad comes home and then the dad and the mom share a look and they're like oh shit it's go time and then they run away to Cuba when they get to Cuba uh, the mom has been injured and uh, these EMT soldier people are going to work on her and the children are trying to hold her hand and they just push the kids out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's right. <laughs> it's to show us, uh, oh man. And uh, the Black Widow character, Natasha, she's, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. And Because um, it sucks there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I will say this does sound very, like, comparable but different to the Americans. Just the, like, basic idea of the sleeper family. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't mind comparing the two, but also it's not reasonable to compare a single movie to a five-season television show. <laughs> <laughs> well, one, one with superheroes and one without. Well, yeah, no, but I mean, it's still, I mean, it's the same fucking premise. It's just done different ways. I don't know. I mean, the Americans is literally created by an ex-CIA officer, and there are episodes written by um, Pete names. Buttigieg? Pete no, Buttigieg. even worse. No, the name is escaping me, but he did Iran-Contra. Oliver North. It's Oliver North. North. Yeah. Oliver yeah, yeah. South, as I like to call him. Yeah, because... <laughs> That's where his reputation went. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he did, in fact, like, write an episode or two, but yeah, fantastic show. But... Uh, does deal with like the same premise and like the idea of what that does to the children is like extremely a uh, uh, theme. So in the Americans, are they related to the children? Yes, they have the children in America to help their cover. I see. Yeah, this is like two orphan children go with mm. two agents. And the agents themselves are the one I think is like his backstory is, in fact, he's an orphan. The other one, like, I mean, they're both born in the latter years of World War Two, And they're both like just completely traumatized by the effects of World War Two happening around them when they were young children. And that's like a very prevalent backstory. And I think the one is, in fact, an orphan. I forget the exact details. Well, I watched, I guess, also a comparable movie. I recently rewatched The Watchmen. Ooh. Yeah. Who does watch The Watchmen? Steven. <laughs> um, I haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters. Yeah, I don't think I have either. I still don't like it. I never, yeah, fair. I never read the comics, so I don't have that reference that most people talk. The comics are a lot better. Well, I mean, it's, I it, excuse me, it's the, a graphic novel. Whatever. Well, I mean, it, but it is quite literally a graphic novel. It's it's there are huge chunks of just text. Yeah, that and, like, is it's the a, one it's an big epistolary. Thing. 
partially. It's so. very uh, David Foster Wallace. I um, don't respect graphic novels, and I don't respect the distinction between graphic novels and comics. No, I, I mean, I'll, I'll <laughs> okay. even say well, it is it comics. Exists regardless. I don't care. I don't care. The distinction is for nerds. No, okay. It is comics in the sense that it was originally released as comics, and then the graphic novel is just like actually an anthology of that limited run series. However, the textual medium of it is especially important, as Bunny pointed out, because there's a lot of footnotes if you will, it's like very reliant in its storytelling on these extra materials that come through. Um, Yeah, it would be the thing. I don't respect the series. I don't respect Alan Moore. And I especially don't respect the movie. So all of that doesn't matter to me. Alan Moore is great. Alan Moore is the original witch talker. Yeah, no, I mean, he believes in anarchism and magic and I love him for it. And I don't like The Watchmen, so all of your snobbish distinctions between graphic novel and comic it's books not really snobbish. It sounds I, I, like I'm it's, sorry, you're saying it a, with a snobbish little yeah, because attitude. I fucking know Look, I'm going it. to do what <laughs> I do best and cut through to find a point that no one can agree with and say it is a snobbish distinction, but The Watchmen is a good comic series. I don't think now it's snobbish. I, I don't think it's snobbish. I think it's I think it's no, very it's, basically elitist to be so dismissive of this. What? Yeah, no, actually, Stephen is being the elitist one. What? Um, yes, yes, absolutely, okay. man. Now, you know what we could do? The series of alliances just keeps switching. Yeah, no, this is like an episode of Always Sunny. This shit rules. <laughs> Yeah, no, now I'm on Bunny's team. <laughs> well, actually, it's like several episodes of Always Sunny, but it's especially <laughs> exemplified in that one where they have the trial about Dennis eating the cereal in the car, and then they have that, like, poster with, like, who's on the fence and who's not on the fence. <laughs> yeah. Well, I found the movie especially anti-communist, so that's what I was drawing the comparison. That's I what I was going disagree. to. Well... Well, I, I would like to make a distinction also. Uh, many people see that film as a failure to be representative of the Watchmen. Uh, as Alan Moore established it. So well, yeah. um, I think what comes off in whatever year the Watchmen came out. 2008. 2008, which it, I think, yes, in that movie, it is probably anti-communist. I think Alan Moore was focusing more on a time you know, I mean, they're gonna they're really gonna bomb us in the Cold War, and we're all very like scared. Well, the, uh, the basic the distinction between the movie and the comic is Alan Moore was writing a dystopian thing, yes. and what the fuck is that incompetence name? Three Hundred Man, Zack Snyder. Snyder. Yeah, Zack Snyder basically read the comic and was like, "Oh, this shit's awesome!" Like. And there's a lot of things I like about the movie, um, but the essential issue is Zack Snyder 
did not understand that Alan Moore was writing a dystopian story. You can be dystopian and anti-communist in the same breath. Right, but in Alan Moore's case, the anti-communist world that he created was like a bad thing. Yeah, I got that, but it also came across as like, okay, yes, I do see that the bad thing of being anti-communism is in this like ironic anti-hero thing and that the anti might counteract the anti so it becomes a weird pro-communist which i did not see there was not a single thing about that movie that would imply a pro-communist message i agree with you a bit like the anti-anti-communist might cancel out but that's not how dialectics work as we've talked about with Zizek. It didn't come across as pro-communist and because the anti-communism was framed in this dystopian world, we're supposed to look at it like ironically despite all the reactionary positions that the bad people have. It's not even so much that. I mean, the other issue with me is you have an audience that's already been inundated with the original three X-Men movies. And it's like hard to, at that point, dig out a distinction versus when the comics came out and what Alan Moore was doing was actually kind of new and significant at the time. And now it's just become pastiche. And yeah, yeah. Subverting the superhero tropes was novel at this time, the way grounded in a realism, it's like, or whatever. Like, yes, in in a real life scenario, if these, beings existed they'd be absolutely rapist fascist yeah at worst and at arms of the state (laughs) and at best like exploited children and yeah no i mean like and yeah it's you can roll your eyes and say yeah that's fucking cliche and Sure, like it wasn't well, now at the time. Seen Alan Moore iterations. Of- yeah, it, I mean, honestly, I don't think you would have. And I'm willing to get criticized by nerds for this opinion, but I don't think <laughs> the like original X Men movie would be like the original X Men movie had the Watchmen comics not come out. Yeah, I, like I, 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 I that sort of a thing. Oh, um, man. Just, I have really opened up a can of worms here. Yeah, well, yeah, because you talked about Watchmen, and there is literally... It was a perfectly good response to Bunny's Black Widow comic. I know, I know, and I'm so sorry. However, as millennials, <laughs> we have been robbed of everything that amounts to having any uniqueness or culture, and we're continuously cursed to consider the triad that is Watchmen, Sopranos, Simpsons, until we fucking die. Oh my god, you live on like one Facebook group that does that. Uh, no, there's several. <laughs> They're making a prequel, Steven. Yeah. Did you notice in the trip said Tony has a high IQ, but then in the series, Tony said, I have a high IQ. I've been tested at one point to Dr. Melfi, so it was well, a callback. Well, okay, then after watching The Watchmen, I uh, watched two movies that seemed very relevant to one another, Saturday Night Fever and uh, Leaving Las Vegas. So do, do with that what you will. Okay. But it was a fun night. Um, I will, uh, there's a lot of dancing and drinking. 
Yeah, I will just repeat my favorite Nick Mullen joke, which is if you are uh, really drunk watching Leaving Las Vegas, you just think it's a movie about a really cool guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's easily my favorite joke of his. Um, Yeah, no, that movie's tragic. I don't know. I'd like to see a no rape cut of Leaving Las Vegas and see if it makes me as sad. I don't know if it will. I'd like to yeah. see a no rape cut of Siren Night Fever. And I don't think I've ever seen that movie beginning to end. I think I might have seen every scene of that movie out of order and across several years. But I don't think I've ever sat down and watched that. The best quote from it. it well, nothing happens. Don't in the touch movie. the hair. No, the best, well, yes, but also, you don't fuck the future, the future fucks you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. That's what his boss at the it's, painter's shop says It's to good him. because um, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> I also saw F9. I was just going to ask you. I was just going to ask you. Which, honestly, I liked better than Black Widow. Look, it was a delight. They know exactly what this never-ending series of movies is. And they just lean into it where it's funny. It's a cash cow for the Chinese markets? Is that what Well, uh, well yes, but it's also, like, one of these crazy, like, densely packed, like, feats of movie making with a story tied around it, but, like, there's affection for that storyline that's been established, and it's... It was very fun. It was Wait, very what, what What did you mean by that? You have to, like, explain that. So section. these movies began as... Nicholas... Again. No. No. Wait, Fast and yeah. the Furious? Does not have Nicholas... Never had You're Nicholas. thinking I'm of thinking Gone of, in yeah. 60 Seconds. Yes, you are thinking of Gone in 60 Seconds. <laughs> Which... <laughs> Holy shit, I totally forgot about I that I wish movie. there was, like, a Gone 9. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> If they just did with that series what they did with... Considering what Nicolas Cage's career is, how could his agent not fucking swing that? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, just, like, keep making Gone in 60 seconds. Oh, the next movie will be, like, Gone in 59 seconds. Stealing stealing cars again. It'll... Mm -hmm. We'll up the stakes. Gone in 30 seconds. All right, now (laughs) I'm remembering the Fast and the Furious series. Yeah, that has... The original one, Vin Diesel... And uh, Paul Walker. Stealing people. Or stealing... Stealing cars. Well, he's he's stealing, like, VCRs in the first movie and illegal drag racing. Right, right, right. Illegal drag racing. um, There's there's thievery. There's an undercover cop. Yeah, it's Paul Walker. So... Who is Paul Walker? The original movie, it's sort of a surprise hit kind of thing. Uh, Because it's not like these are... Good movies. If you watch them in order, you'll see how in the first one there is a lot of attempts at earnest... Like I love the first seriousness. Yeah, my like my real quick is just um, I saw the first one and just was like, "Eh, it's not a really good movie. And then like the second one was advertised and I'm like, "Eh, I didn't really like the first one, so I didn't watch it. And Mm -hmm. since then, I've I acknowledge it's like basically taken this like fucking late pro wrestling trajectory of just being this spectacle in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, that I understand that there are fast and furious heads out there, and I respect like 
that they're into something and that's great for them. <laughs> and um, if someone wants to at some point, like sit me down and take me through the series, um, I'm sure I'll have an enjoyable time. I've just not like done the work myself. Well, fine. I can spoil things for you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I will just hit the points that that have made me sort of uh, like an unironic fan of uh, this franchise. Yeah. So the you know they do a sequel because the first one does well. It's 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 okay, but there's some there's some more cameos in this one. I think this is where this is where Tyrese comes in, I believe, and then we get the third one, Tokyo Drift, which is a totally different kind of tone almost <laughs> now it's not just about like crime that we might see in our real world it's now it's about, about family it's about secret spy networks you start to get secret spy network established but you don't realize that's what it is until literally the end credits if i remember correctly <laughs> So then from there on, it then becomes a car and vehicle stunts with global spy networks. And each movie seeks to exceed the ridiculousness in the choreography of the action of the previous movie. And I will say this most recent one, F9, which is supposedly the penultimate one... They do go to outer space. <laughs> what? What? I am oh, not man. joking. I am totally the, serious. They bond space age this shit. Yes. And so in, in this way, it's become so fun. So that like I'm not even a person who loves cars or whatever, but I, I will admit I do like action movies. I Yeah, no. I, I they sound a, fun as shit. Yeah. I I because what of my never judge life anyone. as a stunt person, I ha have like a real appreciation for like well coordinated <laughs> like action. And I was in a Batman stunt show that did involve the Batmobile and motorcycle stunts. So that's that's where I'm coming from a little bit with this. My boyfriend, however, is a very big fan of the of the series, and um, uh, that's also a part of it. <laughs> but I loved this. It was very funny. They did obvious fan service stuff, and they just sort of like designated Tyrese as the character who says something like that the audience is thinking, you know, about something being unrealistic or what have you, you know. I think there's supposed to be one more of the Fast and the Furious and then it's supposed to end. So I can't imagine, like, if they've gone to outer space in this one. I don't know. <laughs> Did they, like, race spaceships? They had to blow up a satellite before it uploaded a virus uh, that that would then spread to the global network of satellites and allow uh, I mean I would a think bad like guy to control. a drag race in space is the obvious thing to do there it does involve a car in space ooh or drag racing lunar rovers oh, I wish no that would be neat there's also super magnets in this one so there's a lot of fun super magnet action <laughs> How the fuck do they work? Well, uh, you can turn them on and off. And uh, when you turn oh. them on, it's going to suck all the cars. Can we to make it. that technology? 
I mean, yes. A magnet uh, that one can turn on and off? I don't think that exists. I also want to note that Charlize Theron is back as a bad guy for this one. She came into Fast and the Furious, I believe, two movies ago. What? As a cyber hacker terrorist. I respect any movie that makes a fucking white South African the bad guy. Yeah. Also, the last movie, they gave her, like, white dreadlocks, which was even better. (laughs) Oh, you shouldn't do that. Well, it's it's okay because she's a bad guy, so you're supposed to be like this bitch. (laughs) But then it is also Charlize Theron, so she did look very attractive still, so, you know. Like Um, in Monsters. Yeah. (laughs) But it was very fun, and yes, family is said quite a bit. One of the funniest things you may not know about this franchise is that Paul Walker, the actor, did die in real life in a I, I fiery car, in a fiery car crash. That uh, I know. But in the Fast and the Furious world, the character played by Paul Walker, Brian, is still alive, just not in the game anymore because he has a family now. So um, they sometimes do like implicit scenes with him still. Yeah, because he did die before he had finished filming the last movie he was actually in. And they had to digitally fix it using his brother as a stand-in. It's rough. But also, this is like Hollywood drama, this series. The Rock got added to The Fast and the Furious. But guess what? Yeah, I knew that. Vin Diesel, who had left the series... Because he thought, I'm a classically trained actor. I'm, I, I want to be, I want to do something else beyond this. Didn't Vin Diesel start and his then, career as a porn actor? Or is that no, made up? that is not true at all. <laughs> He's, oh, okay. he, he is actually a classically trained actor. He funded, huh. he funded his first film, uh, which got him better auditions. And then he did... Saving Private Ryan, right? Yeah. Uh, he also did Chronicles of Riddick. And, the movie but the Fast and the Furious is a better is, video game. Yeah, the Fast and Furious is what, like, kind of launched him to big stuff. And then for a minute, he was like, I'm out of here. They bring The Rock in, and then Vin Diesel comes back, and The Rock and Vin Diesel butt heads, and they can't even be on set together at the end of it because Vin Diesel apparently keeps giving The Rock acting tips. (laughs) That's cool. That is. Oh, God, it's so funny. And then um, in this movie, John Cena gets introduced to the world. So we're just. Oh, Jason Statham was introduced to a couple movies. So we're going to. Well, I mean, I know Ludacris. Ludacris Ludacris is, is. He is in it. He is a fixture since early on, actually. I think Ludacris came in Tokyo Drift, actually. But uh, yes, Ludacris is still there. Ludacris and Tyrese are the ones who go to space. Yeah, yeah. I kind of just want to watch all these movies now. There's a point where Ludacris shouts, faith is not numbers. And it is hilarious. I, I, you don't have any context for it now, but I found it very funny. It sounds like a blast. It was, it was a blast. Like it was super fun. Movies should be fun. (laughs) And I'm really glad I saw it uh, in a theater. First movie I saw in the movie theater since I saw Cats. (laughs) <laughs> in the movie theater, pre-pandemic. But yes, 10 out of 10 recommend. Very excited for what could possibly be in the 10th installment. And the, I'm saying the 10th installment, there is at least 
four different spin-off situations with Fast and the Furious. There is the Shaw and Hobbs thing, uh, which is the Jason Statham character, but like, so it's more focused on England crimes. Then there is an animated series uh, that I'm not quite sure, like, I think it involves like, younger kids getting into the, I don't know. Uh, It's something weird. But there is also a live car show that only happens in the UK. So uh, a live Fast and the Furious car show. Wait, so, wait, Shaw and Hobbs is in the Fast and Furious universe? Absolutely, yes. I did not know that. Yes. I went to see this movie with a good friend of mine, a comic named uh, Ian Salyers. And uh, there's a point where they make this extended, like, Star Wars reference. But we were arguing that the way it's done, perhaps they actually do exist within the Star Wars universe. (laughs) 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 Or, or like, we would love for them to envelop some other franchise universe and merge these two just go crazy with the absurdity of it that's where you enter in gone in 60 seconds that would actually rule if the 10th (laughs) fast and the furious and it's also the gone in 60 seconds world oh my god and then they use that Yeah, no, okay, so then they introduce the Gone in 60 Seconds character, and then how do we end Fast and Furious, but also we don't want to give up on this money game, (laughs) Um, we revive the Gone in 60 Seconds Mm -hmm. series. Yeah, well, they're doing doing crimes, they're uh, out there, and then Nicolas Cage pops in. Vin and Diesel like, passes the torch to the next if, generation, which is what, Nick Cage. Have you ever considered just stealing cars? Mm-hmm. And then he teaches Vin Diesel how to steal cars like a real man. And he gets the guy from uh, Breaking Bad. Wasn't that the guy in Gone in 60 Seconds that was like the kid? Was I don't remember that I don't fucking remember. movie I at all. I literally yeah. only remember Angelina Jolie. That movie fucking rocks. Uh, Angelina, they have, yeah. steal all these cars at once, Marlo. All of them at once. And he, he has like a woman's name for the one that he can never get. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like this yeah, it's stupid a little, Ahab thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, this... Um, uh, well, Robert Duvall's in it, who's amazing. Giovanni Rib- Ribisi. Oh, yeah. That's the guy who I thought was in Breaking Bad, but he's not. He is in other stuff though. Also, he's also Private Ryan, a Scientologist. Ah, well. But he was yeah. born into it, so give him a little break. Like that. Yeah. I, I do like that. Actually, the uh, Ruby's married to Beck's sister, I think. Hmm. Did she take his last name or stick to her no last name? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I do uh, like that I'm on the uh, Fast and Furious like franchise Wikipedia right now, and it has spinoff films, which is Hobbs and Shaw, Untitled Woman-Led Film. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then Untitled Hobbs and Shaw. Yes, I was like, there's going to be another Hobbs and Shaw, so like, this is just... It's, it's oh, good, also, it's they're good absolutely going to split the 10th film into two parts. Yeah, why not? Yeah, no, I mean, that's fair. Like, they should. 
Yeah, I mean, was, this is as big as the Harry Potter seventh film. Yeah, I'd argue it's bigger. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it has number one more movies, so therefore it does it's have better. Well, Spies makes me think of Marlowe's topic for tonight. <laughs> the DEA going and killing the president of Haiti. Okay, yeah, it probably wasn't the DA. Um, <laughs> I know that. That was the joke. Yeah, so um, Chevenal Moist just died, and it could not have happened to a nicer guy. Uh, <laughs> and so, okay, I was reading actually a Jacobin interview with a gentleman named Kim Ives who uh, runs a Haitian investigative journalism website. His hypothesis uh, for this seems pretty compelling, uh, which is essentially that there's like 12 families on Haiti that like, oh, they're like the the very small bourgeoisie, right? Yeah. And there are like, and it goes all the way back to the revolution. Like they're basically the large uh, free person of color, like largest state holders that like managed to survive. And it's like well-documented that they were kind of behind the 2004 against uh, Aristide, uh, in which George W. Bush's administration literally kidnapped the president of Haiti and, like, moved him to America. Anyway, so uh, for background, though, uh, so Jovenel Moise, or Moise, I, I, I don't know, I'm not French. Moise. Was uh, president, he's been president of Haiti for a while, but since 2017, you had a few issues all come to a head that started these very long sustained protests. Among these issues being that, number one, he was supposed to hold elections according to the Constitution, and he didn't. Number two, uh, $10 billion of aid money came after the earthquake, and no one can account for a single expenditure. Like, there's like that money is seemingly gone. Anyways, so you've had these longstanding protests. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, in Haiti, you have this very particular gang culture that is hard to equate to uh, gangs in other countries. So it kind of derives off of the most infamous dictator of Haiti would be Papa Doc Duvalier, and his son, Baby Doc Duvalier. Um, <laughs> that's what they're called. Uh, they, they're like horrible, horrible people. Just murdered a ton of people. But they maintain their power through this essentially paramilitary force called the Tantan Makut. That was basically this death squad, gang, extortionist squad. Since they were removed from power... The Tantan Makut basically went on to sort of still operate and they would be, you know, persons of hire for politicians to intimidate other politicians or to intimidate other politicians hired to intimidate you or they just work freelance and like kidnap someone and hold them for ransom or collect like extortion from businesses throughout towns but it was this very like political but also mafia but also paramilitary thing that's always been going on 
So fast forward, these gangs are operating. You have this uh, resistance to Moyes. And then enter a man named Jimmy Barbecue Cherizier. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy Cherizier, he was a cop and he was tasked with essentially form a squad and put these gangs to rest. He formed a squad and like went in guns blazing, murdered a bunch of civilians. Then the cops basically said, we had nothing to do with this. This guy's fucking crazy. And so he got pissed off about that. He moved back to his old neighborhood, dealt with these gangs, decided to like just fucking go full on like, I don't know, Liam Neeson basically, and formed his own fucking super gang. So he's like taken... He's like Taken meets Keanu Reeves. Basically, he forms his own super gang uh, and marries it with like very vaguely populist politics uh, and says, actually, all this shit's bullshit and we need a revolution. And he's started to like now unite all the gangs off the back of this like 2017 protest movement, he's basically started to unite all these poor people into a proto-revolutionary force and turn these protests into a low intensity civil war. So this is what's been going on for like the last four years. Meanwhile, you have Moise. Moise is a child of the bourgeoisie. He is beloved by the United States, but Holy shit, he is an extremely corrupt politician who just fucking steals money and refuses to have elections and refuses to resign. And these protests are centered around the fact that everyone fucking hates Moyes. And so the working theory now is the following. These wealthy families essentially made this calculation. There are a thousand fucking Moises in the world who are not named Moyes and do not have the baggage of Moyes. And if Moyes would just step the fuck down, that'd be great, but he's not going to do that. So let's just fucking kill him. We'll make his prime minister the new president. And at this point, if that doesn't make everyone happy, which it probably won't, we can literally turn around and say to the United States, hey, our president just got killed. If you don't step in, Nike doesn't get to continue to run its sweatshops. And the U.S. Wait, will send wait. troops. And Nike has... I don't know if Nike specifically has I thought they were in China. Okay, There's sweatshops I do, know, I do know that the Clinton Foundation is a huge... That has so much fucking baggage with, like, stupid Q shit that, like, I, I would stray yeah, I know. away there's from, a, there's like... A Clinton thing on an island. We we all know there's cute shit and baggage, but it does seem like the U.S. influence stems from the Clinton administration from all I've seen. Okay, the areas where I would pump the brakes on that would be, number one, I think a lot of that kind of obfuscates the general impersonal nature of U.S. capital. Number two, the stemming of U.S. influence in Haiti goes back hundreds of years and really centers around the fuck. I didn't know. I was, I think 1915 (laughs) was the U.S. occupation of Haiti. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, 1912, I think, was... No, 19, 1915. Oh. Uh, 1915 well, wasn't the last assassination in 1912, 13, I, 14, 15? I know there was an assassination around that time. Oh, okay. Yes, the thing that immediately preceded the U.S. Uh, occupation of Haiti was essentially a civil war was going on, and the U.S. back president of Haiti got killed, I believe. But this is an infamous thing, is in 1915, U.S. Marines landed on Haiti. We forced them to rewrite their constitution and basically just completely reorganize their entire government. And we remained there in active occupation for 19 years. And if you're going to really like look back at where the modern era of U.S. Haitian influence started, it would have to be that. Okay, so Bill Clinton did intervene in Haiti in 94. If I recall, that was actually backing Aristide, who, all things considered, is a pretty good guy. Yeah, some nefarious shit absolutely went down with that occupation. In 2004, Bush then entered Haiti and removed Aristide from power. So it's Bush's fault. I I don't know. I, I just kind of turn off at like when people say Clinton Foundation because it just like the amount of baggage to the amount of value that that holds I think is very sure 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 I was just interjecting with that I will say that there is one person who agrees with your theory and that's Jimmy's barbecue he just came out I'm reading a Reuters article where he uh, accused the police and opposition politicians of colluding with the quote stinking bourgeoisie to sacrifice Moyes this week. It was a national and international conspiracy against the Haitian people. He said in a video address dressed in khaki military fatigues and sitting in front of a Haitian flag. We tell all bases to mobilize, to mobilize and take to the streets for light to be shed on the president's assassination. Yeah. The thing about like holding a coup like this is it doesn't have to be directed by the U.S. for the knowledge that At the end of the day, you can rely on the U.S. military to back you up. You don't need the United States to be pulling the strings for the United States to be pulling the strings. But the U.S. doesn't like barbecue is what I'm saying. Oh, they do not at all. They do not at all. It seems like he's trying to do a coup here. He's. I mean, he's trying to do a general popular uprising from the ghettos and have these like paramilitary gangs united for his vision. And, you know, there's not necessarily unfair characterizations that no one's quite sure what his vision is. And, you know, it's not necessary that he's better than anyone else and wouldn't be like some weird warlord. It's all like fair, but, you know, he is tapping into the ability to state the obvious that this country's been absolutely fucked by a small number of people who have been uh, sucking the blood of this country for over 200 years. Like, it's not to say that, like, yeah, no, the U.S. doesn't like barbecue because it's impossible to know what you do. And you have this class of educated Haitian bourgeois that have been 
schooled in the United States and are willing to sign on to any deal of we'll privatize all of this shit and uh, let Western capital do whatever the fuck they want in this country. And he's not one of those people. It doesn't seem like uh, the U.S. is giving into pressure to bring troops in. Not yet, but it depends on what happens next. Most likely what's going to happen next is the prime minister is going to consolidate and become the next president. And then it's a question of, okay, these protests are still going on. They're becoming increasingly radical. They're becoming increasingly organized under a vague but at least singular vision. And um, where does this go? Do they dissipate? Can we put them down by force? Seems like we can't, you know. And at the end of the day, if they don't dissipate and if they don't get put down by force, the U.S. will enter. Like, we have that in our back pocket. Or they won't. And then you'll get a revolution, like some form of revolutionary government, I guess. And then the U.S. will probably enter. (laughs) Like... Yeah, I mean, there's a few steps. It's a thing in the back pocket. It's an insurance policy. What do you think of this, Bunny? I mean, I just don't even understand what we what we want with Haiti. We want to be able to pay people 30 cents a day to make bullshit. I mean, we already got so many other places to do that. We love those places, and we want yeah, more of them. I guess. Did you see, right, was it the Times article that was focusing on how they don't have COVID vaccination campaign going on? Yes, I did. And an interesting thing about that, because I mentioned 2004 and the Aristide thing that Bush did. Aristide, uh, who I said before, he has his problems, but probably the best uh, leader that Haiti has had in 150 years. Yeah, so Aristide was, the best way to describe it is like liberation theology social democrat. And, um, like, former priest and, like, came up as this, like, like left populist and invested a lot into, like, healthcare. And among other things, he opened up a medical university, uh, a free medical university. And in 2004, when U.S. troops entered and kidnapped Aristide, they also occupied uh, said medical university and turned it into a military base. Mm. So, I don't know. I guess those people could have administered some fucking vaccines. But yeah, right? Okay, sirrah, sirrah. Ah, imperialism. Yeah, fucking uh. God bless Haiti. Uh, they deserve the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, my topic for today also deals with imperialism, I guess. But I want to take a kind of macro level about um, my topic is Vouch had another debate Mm -hmm. with a douchebag and got angry and rage quit an hour and a half in after calling the guy a (laughs) neo-Nazi. Well, yeah, what's this guy's deal? uh, This guy, his name is Jackson Hinkle. I'd never heard of him before this debate. Vouch and Jackson Hinkle debated on the OPCW report about a a chemical attack in Duma, Syria. I guess the backstory to all this, which I'm going to generally get more and more macro as I go along, is that there was a chemical attack. I think it was like 2014. 
Not quite sure when it happened. I listened to like maybe two thirds of the debate, but Assad has been quote unquote allegedly doing chemical attacks on its citizens for as long as the civil war has been going on in Syria. And there was this one chemical attack where the OPCW went in and did like a humanitarian report about it. And basically a bunch of anti-imperialists are reading this report and picking out things that don't make sense about it. And there was a whistleblower within the OPCW that said it was all bullshit and that there wasn't chemical attacks and that they basically did a cover-up uh, to just like a regular, like a civil war assault, um, but that there wasn't a chemical attack and that they made it seem like in the report that there was in order to inflame more anger about the Assad regime. And this gets into like the factionalism online between liberals and I think all of this is kind of factionalism between liberals about the war in Syria and how much we should view it as an anti-imperialist war and how much we should support intervention in the region, which itself is a proxy war between a bunch of different interests, but U.S. and Russia, Russia. I guess, are the main. With uh, Iran being... With Iran being a third, like, rogue faction. And, no, actually, I, I might have had that wrong. Is Iran even invested in the... I know that there's, well, like, seven sides of it. It's like a... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just... Well, uh, Turkey certainly playing... Uh, well, yes, yes, Turkey's definitely playing a big role, and they have since the beginning. So... Vouch is basically in this debate. He's in this debate and he's basically defending the report as a valid truth that the Assad regime has done chemical attacks before and that there's no reason that you should doubt a report that says he did it again. And Jackson Hinkle is taking the side that the kind of nuanced position that Yes, these people died. No, they were not crisis actors, but that there was a desire upon in the report to view this as something much more nefarious than it was, which may or may not have been just a regular assault. And so he goes through the report and basically reads out all the parts that he finds conflicting about the report and vouch calls him a neo-Nazi and then quits the debate after an hour and a half because he started asking kind of straw man arguments about whether or not he thought it w was a crisis actor or whether or not it was a cover-up or whether or not he supports the Assad regime, which he may well, but he like wouldn't give that much to uh, Vouch and Vouch just got angry and called him like a Holocaust denier. That's like sort of the background to what I want to talk about because that's not very interesting. I don't find that very interesting. What I do find interesting is that Jackson Hinkle or somebody found that for the preparation of this debate, Vouch was in correspondence with a bunch of people from the Young Turks. Hmm. 
and that he was corresponding with them in preparation. And I've seen some other Jackson Hinkle stuff, most of whom taking a pro Glenn Greenwald versus the Young Turks position. So essentially what you're saying is in this debate, the Young Turks are the United States. Yes. Valsh is the Free Arab Army or whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah, the uh, anti-Assad pro-democracy. And, and then Glenn Greenwald is Russia. Russia. And this guy, uh, whatever. Jackson Hinkle. Yeah, John Hinckley Jr. is <laughs> Assad. The Assad regime. I see. Okay. And so... It is like a, a proxy war about a proxy war. That 10 minutes of explanation of like what happened doesn't really matter. I don't. Yeah, okay. I, I think we can like agree that uh, the entire Syria thing is boring as fuck and uh, this whole meta thing is cool as shit. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, there's a whole backstory right now between Sank Uger and Glenn Greenwald. Basically, with two competing media empires battling it out. Okay, so who's Gary Hinkelstein? Uh, Jackson Hinkle is a quote-unquote anti-imperialist YouTuber. Like, okay, so he's a YouTuber. Yeah, he hosts a show called The Dive, and most about Valsh's age, or uh, yeah, he's. Uh, much more attractive. I will say that. Well, he is okay, a, obviously. He's a blue-eyed Adonis. If I was capable of memorizing his name, I'd look him up right now. Um, well, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll send you the, the here's the, the link to his YouTube. And if you look over... Yeah, his, he's got a young Putin look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you look over his videos, they're extremely... Pro Glenn Greenwald and anti Sank Uger. Is that how you pronounce it? Since Chank. Chank. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, yeah, I don't know how it's less. But like half his content is like shitting on Anna Kasparian. Uh, Ooh, shitting on he looks like Chank. a dream boat. Yeah. Oh, okay. And he's got like shirtless pictures of him running after the debate and then mockingly posting them to Twitter saying that, like, his run was harder than his debate with Vouch. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, I don't care about the... uh, Yeah, the whole, like, meta, like, about the Syrian civil war is absolutely beyond saving in terms of any... uh, yeah, trying to make a cogent analysis or idea or, like, you can't even say anything about it without it immediately becoming cliche or shitty or stupid or, like, useless. Like, it just... It's used as a proxy war, though, and that's really what I wanted to right. highlight here. Yeah, the meta narrative is itself a proxy war. Right. Um, yeah, no, that's like that's some good critical theory, Stephen. You just did some like really solid critical theory. Glenn Greenwald, Aaron Mate from the Gray Zone, and I, I don't know. There's a bunch of them, and I want to showcase. Oh the- God damn, that dude is Jack. I told you he's. Yeah, but he's like really Jack. 
<laughs> like I had just sent my beach run was more challenging than yeah, that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a fucking, you got a body like that, you can make that joke. Like, good for him. Yeah, like, and it's weird because he did this whole debate with, like, the American flag behind him, and it looked like an yeah. antique one. And the Glenn Greenwald connection, I don't like those people. No, I don't like I think we can agree that I like none of these people. No good actors here. But I do want to point out that post-Iraq war seems to have broken the brains of some liberals. And there is factionalism. There's not only factionalism and leftists, but there are factions emerging among online liberals. And I think this is one of them between the TYT crowd versus the Justice Dems versus the anti-materialists. I think we should very quickly just address, you are, and I agree with your use, but you are using liberal in a way to call a swath of people who would call themselves left-wing. Not just vouch because I don't give a shit about, but like the Glenn Greenwald gray zone hyper campus faction you we are just calling them liberals that's yes. what we mean when we're using liberal i just i just want to like throw that out there like you know if you're confused as to who we're talking about yeah that's who we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> well and how did that liberalism emerge is kind of what i want to discuss also because yeah, uh, your your earlier thing about the whole like meta proxy war well what do you think bunny i I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Bonnie, do you even know what we're fucking talking? Like, I, uh, and I, I'm not trying to, like, sound insulting or anything, but, like, we've kind of, like, both of us have been kind of relying on signifiers that we both know each other are picking up on. And, like, it's okay if you're not completely following us and, like, if you want us to, like, be Yeah, no, not completely. Here. I love... I, I, <laughs> um, like that's also fine. Well, where do you think we should explain more? I guess as a well, who's John Hinckley Jr.? <laughs> <laughs> well, like no, like what is this like faction that he represents? Because yes, I think we trotted out Vouch enough that I think we know what we mean when we say Vouch. Yes, yeah, I'm, and I'm totally as familiar. much as this is pulling teeth for me that I don't particularly feel like talking about this. I'm like, yeah, it should reasonably. Well, are you familiar with Glenn Greenwald? Uh, Yes, I do know who Glenn Greenwald is. And there is, I think, a faction of people who take the position that any country that opposes the United States is good by virtue of that. And I think that also Mm -hmm. we need to kind of look at, okay, because I am not a pro-China person. And I mean, honestly, I'm probably less of a pro-China person than Steve at this point, uh, just because he fucking hates the Falun Gong so much. Um, But uh, They are uncomfortable bedfellows, yes. Yeah, but like also, I mean, okay, if you want to get into... Valsh just calls everyone a tanky, and there is some nuance to get into of, you know, you have your set of vaguely left-wing governments, be that Venezuela under Maduro, be that 
China post Mao, be that historically Stalin Russia, you know, you have your ostensibly left-wing governments that are much varied, that have different arguments about whether you should support them, why you should support them, why you shouldn't support them, how you should support them. And that is a thing in itself. But then you have sort of the more when it gets into RT, you know, Russia today, when it gets into Russia, when it gets into Mm -hmm. Assad. I mean, you know, not for nothing, but the Ba'ath Party of Assad was formed very explicitly as an anti-communist party. The Ba'ath Party's history for a very long time was supported by the West as, hey, uh, we're decolonizing the Arab world. We'd like it to not go fucking... Uh, so these fucking barbarians need a different thing to follow that isn't communism. And, uh, yeah. Then America did the heel turn. Yeah, and then... With the Iraq War. And also the Syrian Ba'ath Party and the Iraq Ba'ath Party is different. But, like, it does come from this common thread from the Arab world at the time. So, like, you have what would very much cross into what would be called in old left circles campism of the idea that there is this global meta chess game being played and one side losing necessarily means the other side wins, however that turns out. And we love doing this, you know, Uh, it's a, well, it's a false dichotomy one to act like it's, you know, that there are just two sides or that the uncritical support of the wins of people who are opposite America. Is, I mean, the one you know, thing that uh, both the dumbest Hillary Clinton liberals and the dumbest gray zone readers need to get through their heads is Putin isn't a fucking communist. Yeah, like... <laughs> That's what I'm kind of alluding to here is that neither are these people. Mm-hmm. That this anti-imperialist group, which I, is what I'm terming them, which it has its own problems with its, with its name and how it defines imperialism, but they're anti-American imperialism, so therefore they take all the camps that are opposed to American imperialism. And those camps are either illiberal democracies, in the case of Putin, which, I mean, is a term that I don't like either, or they're explicitly anti-communists. And these people, like Glenn Greenwald, are explicitly anti-communist. And they shouldn't be seen as allies to any communist movement in America or elsewhere. I mean, yeah, and I think there is a there is a space to differentiate as much as I tend to disagree with CPC apologism, and I do generally, but I think there is a space to differentiate that from this. There's a lot of crossover between the two. Wait, between what? CPC apologism and And, and, anti-imperialism? And the, yeah, and the very vulgar campus anti-imperialism. 
Turks. What do you think of the beef between the Young Turks, Vouch, uh, or Libertarian Left, and this other group that seems to have more and more sway in what they call independent journalism media platforms? Because there are more of them cropping up. I mean, I never heard of this guy before, but now I do. Yeah, there is definitely that gray zone world. I I mean, I think it would start with RT um, back in the day. That, I mean, in itself, I mean, really came out of the Bush years. Yeah. yeah. I I mean, you know, when... Well, Bush Bush years and then, like, the Obama NSA kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. The the creation of the intercept. Is what passed the torch, more or less. But, I mean, you think about... I mean, back in the Bush years, the thing that I always joke about is how long it took people to realize that the Daily Telegraph was a trash paper. Because (laughs) back in the Bush years, we were starving for any media from outside America because the American media was so fucking lost at that Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, Daily Telegraph, that sounds fancy and British. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, no, there was such a long time where like, yeah, RT stepped up and like provided, hey, uh, the Iraq war is bullshit. Bush is sucks. And the things that you're pissed off about are valid. And then, yeah, as you said, Snowden, Assad. And I mean, it's this unfortunate thing where Snowden and Assange. Or Assange. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i mean it's this unfortunate thing where it's like it's like absolutely true to say that if you like run into someone with a julian assange avatar on any social media platform there is a 95 percent chance they have nothing of value to say and that's not to say wikileaks isn't good or what you it know exposed the cia connection to the fallen gong so i think yeah, it exposed a lot of things and uh i'd even very conditionally say assange has done some good in the world notwithstanding his foibles as a probable racist and an annoying idiot. But at the same time, no, we know these people exist. We know there is a group of people, if you run into them on social media, and, like, their start-to-end fucking conversation is Free Assange. Well, Free Assange and Free Syria also. Yeah, and that kind of is a, yeah, off-lead-off. that like i've just been seeing the gray zone stuff pop up on my feed i've seen a bunch of this guy's stuff now because jesus christ he you know yeah no he's gonna mine this for all it's worth and it's worth a fucking lot and good for him for winning that lottery and i just wonder where this clash with tyt comes in because it does seem like they're holding the uh you know According to them, the American imperial kind of banister that these people are bad and that all of these people by questioning all of this and standing for these. Uh, I mean, the difference between Vouch's politics and Chank's is that Vouch calls himself a socialist and Chank doesn't. Well, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying in the anti-imperialist versus justice dem quibbles 
the Justice Dems are obviously on the more liberal American imperialism is okay when it's aimed at dictators and then the anti-imperialist camp is, well, some of those dictators are opposed to imperialism, so they're better than you're making them out to be, which I think is inherited from the Cold War. It's just now... Yeah, no, I mean, the, I mean, campism as a term came up from Cold War Western leftist politics. So what do you think of that? Is that a reasonable explanation, Bunny? Yes, yeah, I think so. And I, I think it also reminds me how much all of these people are boring to me. Um, <laughs> even if I might be compelled by an argument here or there or whatever, I've like never been able to, like honestly, me hate listening to Vouch is like more enjoyable than me sincerely listening to well, even you like- can, You can hate listen to these people too. Yes, but they're not as, I don't know, they're not as like- sweaty about it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, I, um, you know, and then if I watch, like, Young Turks, then I'm just engaging in my regular old Turk hate. So, (laughs) I did not realize initially when they, like, hit the scene that they were indeed actual Turks involved. (laughs) 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 And then I was so mad. I don't love their content. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it's it's not even a shoot some Greek bullet, Greek um, okay homemade well, homemade bombs I do over the kind border. Of think like uh, not so much uh, the more serious stuff uh, necessarily, but it's well established. I'm of the opinion that we should uh, speak the about Turkish people are a mongrel race that must be white. No, <laughs> bleep this out of that what Marlo said, okay? Because I have. <laughs> if... No, actually, just take we Bunny's voice. Yeah, just and take it... Bunny's voice and and make it sound like she said it. <laughs> yeah, do a deep fake on that. Shit. I yep. feel as though if you are looking at the world through a a lens where you are criticizing imperialism and colonialism and etc., that you would know that know what. Turkey, the former Ottoman Empire's history is. I think Erdogan is one of the baddies. (laughs) Okay, I just want to point out that we asked Bunny for her opinions, and she immediately went from something tangentially related to Cenk and Ugard to uh, discussing the Ottoman Empire and (laughs) Erdogan. I'm just saying when... But what about their... I'm just saying that North Cyprus is Turkish. What a, I what about their like American <laughs> political positions? Because I think that's more sort of it, what the proxy war. Yeah, that's more of where these battles are. Oh no, absolutely. I'm just saying like what I don't enjoy about it in particular. <laughs> we know. We all um, any longtime listeners yeah, knows that you know. No, that okay. I just okay, I have a meme that I'm gonna do. <laughs> Um, but what about the media empire that Cenk has 
created has also birthed with Kyle Kalinske, the Justice Democrat wing of the party, which has gotten a number of people that we sort of like elected and that these people are also mostly anti-communist social democrats who are trying to take over the democratic party and i think this podcast's opinion for the better but not good enough for our full-throated support i'd agree with that and certainly i do try to see like sometimes see things optimistically we do have uh, a better framework around or i don't want to say better but a more extensive framework that's more commonly known around leftism and i don't think in a super small part due to a thing like the young turks like kind of taking off as it has. It's like a what now time. I mm-hmm. see a lot of people um, looking to, uh, here, I'll give a sort of related but tangential example. Uh, for instance, in Baltimore, there is a somewhat like commonly held belief that the activists who do activism in Baltimore, who show up at the meetings, are out of their depth and um, are just like sloganeering. When they go mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. you know, so whether like my oh, broader argument would be, so what? They're still probably bringing up a problem that needs to be addressed. Why doesn't anybody on the government side uh, care? Uh, so, but I do think, yes, like I'm aware of people who are, you know, activists in their bio, in their whatever, and they might engage in some organizing, but is it worthwhile? I, I don't, you know, uh, I do see also another side where the popularity of something like saying stuff is creating this thing where it's like, oh, I can fill in this space too, right? But not necessarily for any real goals other than taking up attention in that space, you know, because I, I, I don't know how valuable political Twitch streams are. I just... um, They have no value. Yeah, so it's fun. And that's why I said I, like, would much rather hate watch Vouch because he, like, genuinely makes me laugh with his approach to things. (laughs) That Uh, meme, Jesus Christ. Just he's he's self-serious in a way that is almost blustering and and funny to me and not like well that was the best part about this debate was i will say to wrap this up was how angry he got because he clearly had kind of this defensive posture where he really did no research into the topic at hand really from the outset just was like, well, it's all conspiracy theory and you're no different than a Holocaust denier. So I'm going to just have that be my baseline and then we're going to just hammer that in. And then when the guy didn't break and didn't get defensive over that, he just like got really flustered and really angry and just quit the debate altogether. Yeah, no, I mean, that's just... You know, okay, debates are fucking stupid. They're yes. so they're so stupid. But you know, we should definitely do one no. with Vouch. But and but send Marlowe. Send Marlowe with his tail between his legs to debate 
Vouch because that would drive people to her Patreon. And, you know, just like this guy had never heard of him, lots of people would hear about us if Marlo went on and debated Vouch. Yeah, true. Okay. But, like, okay. And one of the reasons that debates are fucking stupid is it's just a skill that's not related to other skills or truth in the universe. And uh, Vouch believed he was correct and thought that as a result, he didn't need to do any prep work. But the problem is that a debate is a thing in itself that is not related to whether you're correct or not. And I'm not even saying Bausch was correct. And so, yeah, he wasn't prepared and the other guy was. And so that- Because this is all these people think about is how Assad did not do chemical attacks. On his own people. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> that's all they think about. That's all these gray zone people think about <laughs> is let me just find a way to just find any instance where we can just poke holes in Assad doing chemical attacks. I yeah, mean, guys, it, I don't think two dudes debating it on the internet's gonna figure it out. I think it is. You know what? I mean, uh, my my debate would, with Vouch would be that I think debates are stupid. Mm-hmm. And so as to not fall down the trap of performative contradiction, I would simply uh, play a stock fart noise instead of talking to them. But what if there was like and a... I don't think you'd agree to that debate. So... And also, gonna, I don't care because debates are stupid. We're going to clip this and send that to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like, I, 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 on principle, would refuse to actually engage in any sort of argument with Vouch in good faith. And, like, I wouldn't. And he could rightly point out that I, I was doing that, and he'd be correct to point that out. But I'm not going to be, like, affected by, like, words he says or respond to them because that's fucking stupid. Well, thank you for uh, indulging me with this segment. I watched an hour of that debate so I could talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And I came up with a meta-analysis. Yeah, no, very good meta-analysis. I love that meta-analysis. I love you for that meta-analysis. Yeah, Syria proxy war in a debate proxy war. Yeah. No, that's a cool cool meta-analysis. Well, Steve... Who do you hate the most in this space? <laughs> uh, Caleb Maupin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's cool. That, yeah, no, that's not. It's not remotely yeah. true. Yeah. Cool. Like he's just, he just, he literally is. He's just a, a ginger. Guy. He's a ginger for one thing. That's why I hate him. Number His one. His dream is to be Xi Jinping's Rachel Maddow. And that's like such a weird and specific thing he wants out of life that he's devoted every fucking waking moment to achieving that I cannot hate him for. And he wrote a book about how BreadTube is imperialist and then accused BreadTube of trying to assassinate him. Yeah, it's basically the Trump tax returns. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't know who I hate the most in this. Probably Glenn Greenwald. That's yeah. a serious answer. Yeah, no, I, I just don't like Glenn Greenwald. <laughs> He's got bad ideas. 
He's he got an annoying poorly. Yeah, he's yeah. got an annoying voice. He's, words he, he says are bad. He uses his homosexuality as a shield against criticism. Yeah, he he dances <laughs> through a series. I mean, he is he's probably a government Renee agent. Zelliger, is that who did the laser rim in that movie? Yes. <laughs> oh, wait, no, yeah. no. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Jones. Yeah, Catherine Sorry. Zeta-Jones. In yeah. the James Bond movie, not the no, it wasn't a James no, Bond. No, it was it was with Sean Connery. It was with Sean Connery. This is James Bond in a couple of years, like nineties. Yeah, he he laser rooms around with Idpol, uh, where he just fucking entrapment. That's the name of that movie. Sorry. Yeah. Well, he just <laughs> he swings his dick suckery around whenever it fucking benefits him to do so. Oh, uh, yeah. And like, oh, well, fuck you if you're sad that a black dude got shot again. Like, I, I mean, it, it just well, he's a fucking scumbag. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. No, I fucking hate Glenn Greenwald. I, I don't even know. <laughs> and he, and he just Trojan horses a bunch of socially conservative things and shields himself from criticism. That's it. Anyway, yeah. Look, Glenn Greenwald, we're not we're not saving you <laughs> in our uh, celebrity jails when the revolution comes. All right, guys. Good night. Good night. When she says that she doesn't know of any instances of abuse at the National Security Agency, leaving aside the fact that there have been several different reports in, by ABC News, by the New York Times, by the NSA abusing its eavesdropping powers over the last four years, there is a 2011 opinion, 80 pages long, from the FISA court, the secret court that oversees the NSA. And what it ruled, although the court. The-